the Jewish community has lost a gentle giant with the passing of Mordechai Katz of blessed memory. Mordechai Ben Benjamin will live on through his children, his grandchildren, and his Eshet Chayol, Dr. Monique Nikki Katz. His influence on the Jewish world will continue to be felt literally by thousands who perhaps maybe unknowingly live enriched lives thanks to his hard work and successful initiatives. So many of the institutions that Mr. Katz, that Morty inspired with a legacy of relevance and vibrancy, be it the 30 educational and leadership and community institutions of Ortora Stone, be it Yeshiva University and the Katz School of Science and Health, be it Nishmat or the Frisch School or the Barilan University or Shari Tzedek Medical Center, all in some measure, all of these institutions and so many more look to the Torah of Rav Cook and of Rav Salavechik for their institutional Weltanschauung. And so we thought that since this shiur, really focusing on the philosophy of Rav Cook and of Rav Salavechik and their connection to Medina Israel, since this shiur is being delivered to a global audience, we thought it should be dedicated to someone like Mr. Katz, Mordechai Ben Benjamin, who had such an amazing global reach. Dehei nafshot zaror, hachayim. May his smile continue to infuse and inspire, his smile and his wisdom continue to infuse and inspire all of us. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Brander, for, for beautifully encapsulating Mr. Katz's life. May his uh, memory be a blessing for his family and for us all. Uh, an important uh, programmatic note, um, we're mindful that, that, that Israel's official state ceremony at the Kotel, marking the onset of Yom HaShoah, begins at 8 p.m. Israel time. Uh, and we will be concluding this program no later than 7.55 p.m. Israel time. I'm pleased to introduce our very esteemed guests uh, today. Rabanit Mali Bravsky is a senior faculty member and in-house mental health professional at Michlelet Mivdaseret Yerushalayim. She lectures and has held a number of academic and administrative positions at various institutions in Jerusalem. A graduate of Artur Stone's Midrash at Lindenbaum, Rabanit Mali holds a master's degree in Jewish philosophy from Yeshiva University's Bernard Revel Graduate School and an MSW from YU's Wurzweiler School of Social Work. She runs a clinical practice near Jerusalem and has published and lectured extensively on Jewish thoughts, issues of emotional health, and the interaction between the two fields. Rabbi Dr. Yehuda Mursky teaches at Brandeis University. He served in the US State Department's Human Rights Bureau and has written on religion, politics, and culture for the New York Times, the Washington Post, New Republic, The Economist, and many other publications. His book, Rav Cook, Mystic in a Time of Revolution, was awarded the Jewish Book Council's Choice Prize. His new book, Towards the Mystical Experiences of, of Modernity, The Making of Rav Cook, is appearing this year with Academic Studies Press. He lives in Jerusalem with his family. 
We are also honored today that moderating today's program in loving memory of Mordechai Katz is former member of Knesset Tehila Friedman, who served in the 23rd Knesset with the Blue and White Party. Her inaugural speech in the Knesset plenum last year has received more than 1.5 million views online. A graduate of Artur Stone's Midrashat Lindenbaum, she holds two law degrees and a degree in literature from Hebrew University. She has served as, as an advisor to former Minister of Diaspora Affairs, Natan Sharansky, managed philanthropic funds, and has been a social activist for the promotion of women's rights and religious pluralism in Israeli society. She lives in Jerusalem with her husband and five children. One final note before we begin, uh, please feel free to utilize the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. If you have a question during the conversation, simply click on that button to submit your question and we will address as many questions as time permits. Now I turn over the virtual podium to former member of Knesset, Tehillah Friedman. Thank you. Thank you and uh, welcome everybody. Um, when we set the program, I didn't think about how it's going to be really in the minutes of uh, Lelit Kadesh Chag, you know, the, the moments of, of the beginning of Yom HaShoah. In Israel, you can feel the heaviness in the air. So there is some quiet, um, very, um, not very typical to Israel, as you all know, um, and that take place in Yom HaShoah. And I also feel that our discussions, the questions of you know, the state of Israel, relationship between humanism and Judaism, is all those, modernity, all those questions get different weight in this day. Um, so with that note, I want to start uh, by asking the two of you, you know, both Harav and Arov uh, shaped in many ways the religious Zionist community in Israel and for many years, I think we defined its border between those, you know, the, the, the pupils, the students of Rabbi Cook versus the students of Rav Soloveitchik and who, who following who. I think in the new generation, most people are influenced by both, but in different ways. Um, and both I feel extremely relevant to the public questions that we all, or the public discourse and the big questions that we're busy with. I wanna start by asking those of you, and Yuda, if you can start, what the one thing which is most relevant from, from your perspective that the Torah of Rav Kook can teach us? And when I said relevant, relevant to those days and publicly, not as individuals, as, you know, as a state, as a community, as a tzibur. So if you need all the Torah al so what's the one thing which is the most relevant? From Rav Kook or Rav or both are just Rav Kook, no, no, you are now speaker. I'll take an Rav Kook, stay there. Um, first off, just so thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you, um, Rabbi Brander and Ryan, and special thanks to Ishai Hughes from Ortower Stone. It's just been such a pleasure to work with in, in organizing all of this. Um, you know, about Rav Cook, one could talk a very, very great deal, a very long time. Strangely, when I think about what I see as the most 
pertinent or dimensions of Rav Kook's thought drill today, I think less of state and more of society. In particular, Rav Kook offers a way of thinking about living in an extremely diverse and highly conflicted society. Right? That he has this, this fundamental perspective um, of honoring disagreements because you know, in many ways, so much of Rav Kook's voluminous, voluminous, voluminous Torah um, is in some respects one extended meditation on the phrase in Tikkun uh, Zohar, let atar there is no space that is absent of God. Such, which, which he takes to apply not just to the natural world, not just, to, but also to the world of politics and society. My, my opponents God is somewhere in there too, right? Rav Cook locates, you know, locates, sees God at work in every human effort to make the world a better place, morally, socially, spiritually, culturally, by however, by however lights one does that. Yes, he thinks that, you know, because through, through Torah, so to speak, he has the inside track on that. But this very generous way of looking at other people and honoring their honest disagreements with you and sort of even theologically saying God's truth is greater than all of us. So some other part of the, some part of the truth will always be inaccessible to you, but it might be accessible to you. And, and then hopefully we can sort of live together by respecting each other's idealism, not by watering down disagreements, but by honoring principled disagreements. I must say I'm surprised that you're using the word honoring because mm -hmm. I, I, I feel that it's much more radical than honoring. It's the concept of a suit as a theme. It's much okay, more. Okay, that ultimately, well, yes. I mean, ultimately things are joined at the root, right? But that all these different ideas and things are joined at the root, but sort of like that that, it, that, 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 that comes, it extends outward over time. Um, yes, yeah, so he, he employs this term, which has, you know, sort of the, the coincidence of opposites, the unity of opposites. Um, and it has roots in Western philosophy, it has roots in Chabad. My one, I, th I think, yes, but I think that a, a crucial feature for, for Rav Kook, or at least as I understand him, is that yes, there's a unity of opposites, but it's always in motion that it develops and develops and develops and, and it's this constant and you don't ever want to say, and I think the same is true for Rav Salvechik, you don't ever want to say, okay, I'm there, I'm good. I have it all worked out. Right? That's, that's uh, you know, obviously creating a political program out of this is a different question, but in terms of what Rav Cook has to offer the Israeli society today, that's, that's also, what and just one last word: this notion of the the theology of culture, artistic creativity, literary creativity, people's attempts to create a social way of life, among other things, are ways of trying to create in their lives. Um, that and and I guess the final final thing that he so disliked the word religion. 
die, right? He thought it was a cage. But it was this, this just thing that, that, it, that it takes to, uh, and just shrivels it up into something. What seems to be off here? Thanks. Mali. Okay, so first of all, I want to um, add my thanks for this opportunity. Um, it, it has been a pleasure so far in the planning stages and already the conversation is pulling me in um, because so many things that were just said about Riff Cook, you know, kind of triggered thoughts about how Riff Soloveitchik is similar and yet unique in his own way. When I was thinking about the question of what Riff Soloveitchik contributes, so I'd say, first of all, I think it's important to recognize that um, it, it, the Rosalovichik's formulation of Zionism is the formulation of Zionism that was accessible to the non-Israeli world, right? If if Rav Cook is the founder and the father and the spokesperson and the you know whatever you want to call it, the shofar of um, of Siyonut Hadatit, the language of Rosalovichik that he creates in his writings in Kaldidido Fake and Chamei Shreshot um, and in other places. That's the language that's accessible to, I'd say, the larger world. And I think that, that it's important to, 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 to say that at first. But then, you know, as, as, as you had said about Rav Cook, like, and you, as you said, how do you say to all regal achad? If I had to say what I think his most significant, I can't even say his most significant contribution, but I'll say what strikes me the most is the way Rav Soloveitchik frames religious Zionism as an opportunity. He doesn't, his language, while there is a, a very strong recognition of um, God's hand, a, a miraculous opportunity, uh, a historical shift, um, you know, I think that, that there's a very, I think, I, I don't, I think it would be fair to say that, that Rosaloveitchik saw this as moving into a new historical reality. I think that that's a legitimate thing to say about Rosaloveitchik. Yet he, because his, not because, but I'll say it differently. I'd say Rav Soloveitchik's whole kind of philosophy is grounded in the idea of uh, human initiative and creativity and, and wedding that to looking at what's happening in history as an opportunity for us, as a challenge for us. I think that that's very, um, I personally find that to be a wonderful way to frame it for us as individuals and as a nation. You know, because because it empowers us, and it it, it also creates a frame that that cha it challenges and empowers equally. And I think that that's it, it encourages passivity. Uh, sorry, it discourages passivity and um, standing back. And it and it draws us into these the very difficult challenges, as you said. Of of of, and I, I think it also stems from Soloveitchik's belief that that the greatest challenge of his time was what are we going to do with modernity, right? And and um, the, and that question was true in Chutz Laaretz and in Eretz Yisrael. And um, engaging with Zionism for Soloveitchik was about the decision, right, to engage with modernity and all of its, uh, you know, Yehuda had talked about this cultural, this theology of culture. It's there too, that idea that we are going to engage with the world and make the world a better place. And for sure for Rav Soloveitchik, um, the ideal vision is, is a, um, again, not a political, the political is important and it has its place. And it's and, it, and Soloveitchik says that, and he says, don't, don't mistake me for thinking that I don't think that the, that the po politics matters, it does but it's only a stepping stone to a larger vision. 
I also think that 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 the whole question of um, how you make space for differing as a religious Jew for the non-religious Jew also finds its place in the way Rav Soloveitchik formulates, again, in Kaldi Dino Fake, which I think is the, the foundational work on this issue, he, the, you know, he talks about the theodicy, how we manage uh, the problem of evil, which moves into the question of the Holocaust, which then moves into Zionism. And again, coming from, a, again, a, a place of opportunity rather than a place of, of determinism and fatalism. But he ends with talking about um, how we have a call to the religious sector and how, uh, how we find a way to respect and appreciate the world, the secular world. And he says it over and over in his writings on Zionism to that, that, that he has tremendous respect for them. He appreciates their, their, their sacrifice and their contributions. And we march together. Um, and yet he's very strong. And, and here is a place where the language differs slightly from Ruff Cook. He, he always says, and yet our mission is to go one step further, right? If we just stay in this place, we haven't done our job. Our mission is to, is, is to take this, this whole enterprise to a spiritual, uh, to a more spiritual place. Um, and, and, and so there's room for, and there's appreciation for the, and, and there's validity, which is, which is a new thing. And it is a Chiddush, also in Rav What do you do in the modern world with non-observant Jews? And there's a place given for them, a place of honor and appreciation and validity as part of the Jewish people, a, a, a non-negotiable validity. And yet um, an awareness that for Salavechik, clearly, as religious Jews, we believe that we, we have to we have to take the, the, the language is brit, um, for the individuals brit go brit goral and brit yiut, fate and destiny, and for the Jewish people it's brit time and brit sinai, but it's all fate and destiny, right? We have to take fate. We're all bound together by fate, and that's the that's the, that's the biacha, uh, but that we all have to go together towards towards the destiny. And that for him is an un, unapologetic kind of um, necessary end goal. And if you lose sight of that for Rav then you've, you've lost sight of your goal and your aim. I must say, I, I, you, you surprised me also because you describe Rav in historical terms or, or the way you treat history. And I'm thinking about Isha Alakha, which is almost it's like history has no effect on nothing versus Rav Kook that obviously, you know, show how God is speaking through history and all the notion of redemption and the state of Israel as redemption. And so usually I tend to think about, about you know, history as something which is different between those two thinkers. And the way you described it, it's much more similar than I. Yeah, I thought. It's so yeah, interesting. Yeah, you jump in. Um, yeah, in terms of history, by the way, um, a couple of years ago, uh, Paul Name had this amazing article in Harvard Theological Review comparing Rukhain Brisker, the Rub's grandfather, to Hermann Cohen, the German philosopher on whom uh, the Rub philosophy dissertation, his, his, his PhD dissertation, and he argued that they were actually very similar with all their differences. They were both idealists who were trying to create an ideal concept yeah. of Judaism that has nothing to do with history, right? In Hermann Cohen's case, nothing to do with the flow of Jewish history. In Kain Brisker's case, little to do with the history of halakha, because like, Shelo to Chulot are not something that you should study. 
Um, I mean, I would say two things. Yes, Rob Cook's philosophy of history, where, again, here he's deeply influenced, not just by modern philosophy, but also by the Ramchal, that history has a direction and I can figure out where it's going. Yeah, I think it's fair to say Teldechik would entirely reject that and probably would reason. Um, I think I was have two comments. One about one about Kolded Fake and the other about major work of his we haven't talked about yet, which is the Lonely Man of Faith. Because you're absolutely right, Tila, that like Halachic Man is all about getting out of history in some sense, right? Sort of just hop. It's also written during World War II. And sort of just getting out of all of this. Um, in, it's interesting. I was, it was for our, our, our meeting, I was doing a little more reading, and I saw that, that in Covenant of Fake, when, when the Rav talks about the Covenant of Fate and Covenant of Destiny, he's working with categories from German philosophy. And that's not German philosophy from Heidegger. Wow. Questionable. Mm -hmm. right. So what's interesting is that in, in romanticism, in sort of in, in German idealism, then in Heidegger, fate and destiny are these two categories. Fate is another word for, as Molly said, determinism, right? Sort of like ways in which you're thrown into the world and you have no choice about anything. And nature and the laws of nature as understood by science are bearing down upon you. And destiny is somehow you chose to do something with it, to rebel against it, to assert yourself. And it's, it's really, it's like what the rub is doing in, in, in Cold and Deuter Fate is even much more powerful because he's saying, yeah, death, yeah, fate, that's, that's Jewish identity. You know, all through modernity, all these Jewish thinkers, like the ones who are like, and again, as we've said in our, in our conversations leading up to today, our conversations, of course, are Ashkenazi, right? Because like the thinkers would be looking, going at these issues very, very differently. All these Jewish thinkers are trying to understand why why, why does this mean so much to me, even when it shouldn't? The university I teach at is named for somebody who was the story of his life. He discovers his Jewishness that he doesn't understand, but he devotes as much of his life to it. And the rub, sort of by casting that in terms of the covenant of fate, yes, there are things in human existence that we can't control. Like Heidegger said, we are thrown into existence. And guess what? You were thrown into being Jewish. Now, the Rub says that the covenant of fate is the, this, this thing that is sort of determinism is also supposed to elicit compassion. And this is like a difference between him and Heidegger, right? It's supposed to elicit compassion and mercy for the people who share your faith. And then destiny is to take hold of things in the future. The lonely man of faith there, I was thinking that actually that's a work of the Rub that in some ways I think is very helpful for thinking about the state. What do I mean? Man of faith, right? Adam one, Adam two. Also, that's also he's like in deep dialogue with with like German theology about that. Whatever, that's for another time. Adam one, the the first version of Breshit Perak Aleph, right? Through this very majestic process of creation, and it's very orderly and it's very stable. And at the summit, you have male and female created equal, and their job is to be the earth and right to to rule over the earth as sort of God's stewards on earth. And then we start over in Breshit Perak Bet. Right where Adam is this mud creature who's lonely, who needs to find a helpmate. And the genius in, in, in Lonely Man of Faith is when the Rebbe says these are two complementary features of, of human existence. I think it's actually a helpful way for thinking about the state and not the state. Because 
I could be wrong here, but so it's like Logan Man of Faith used like Adam one is the person of the state. And he's saying, yes, there is a dimension of human existence that's about that's about rational administration, that's about technocracy, that's about technology, that's about very purposive legislation that's premised on fundamental human equality in all kinds of ways. But guess what? There's also another dimension of human existence your death, we have to face your mortality, you have to ask yourself, who am I as a human being? What am I doing here? And for that, you need something else, because the answer set to that is covenantal community, which is different from the state. It's not coercive like the state. Its goals are different, and you kind of need different kinds of them. So I, I was thinking that I, I think lone man of faith in its own way might offer some very helpful ways about thinking about where the state is sort of valid and important and actually where it isn't that's really interesting and yeah i was just been thinking about yeah i'm stopping you for a moment because i'm careful on time i do want i was imagining this conversation as if you that would talk about Rav Kook, you would talk about our subject obviously you are both very keen in both so it can't work like that so i i want to <laughs> i want to ask you something my feeling is that Rav Cook had a great influence on Israel and zero, maybe zero is, is maybe I'm exaggerating, but zero. not much more than that. Not much more than that. Yeah, in the, in the, in, in the state. Is, mm -hmm. And I want to ask you why. Like, is that because the language? Is that because Zionism or is this, like, why? Because Rav Salvechik, it took time, but he did make aliyah, I mean, in terms of influence. And, and the opposite didn't happen, so. Yeah. Molly, what, Molly, what do you All think? All right, I, I, okay, even though, again, you're asking about Rav Cook, but it's okay, we can each talk about both. That's what I said, both. Exactly, both. exactly okay. right. So, so, you know, as you were talking, I said yet, and that was, I don't know if that was, you know, if you're talking about determinism versus hope, that was more a statement of hope. That, and, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. Why do I not think that Rev. Cook has made inroads into America, into, let's, call, let's just use modern orthodoxy as the, as the catch phrase. I think part of that is really the differences between the modern orthodox world and the Dati Lumi world, um, which are reflected, I think, in the differences between Rav Soloveitchik and Rav Cook. The emphasis on the individual development of the individual religious personality versus the collective experience. Uh, Rav Cook's language, because of who he is, is much more mystical. And it's an interesting thing to consider whether the, the, the Israeli, I would say, the Israeli religious experience is I don't know if I would use the word mystical, but it is more, um, perhaps I would say intuitively spiritual, less pragmatic, less practical than the American religious experience. And, um, you know, it's an interesting question of the dynamic, like did that develop in Israel because Rav Cook, as the leading thinker, that was his language and therefore that caught on fire. And in America, what you have is again, a much more, let's, let's call it, pragmatic, detail-oriented, halachic, not, not, not that I would really, halach is a whole different piece of the conversation. Um, is that because they were the people who led the language? I don't think it's quite that simple. I think that it's mm -hmm. because of the experience, the, the, the collective experience of being in Israel, being part of a nation, uh, versus being individuals, um, 
also being a minority in a non-Jewish majority culture, all these things make a tremendous difference uh, in terms of what, what formed, and maybe even I would say the, the, the here I, I think the place to look perhaps is Rav Kook's La Malach Ideal Israel, where he talks about um, the, what, the, the collectivism versus individualism, let's say. And he talks about how by definition, when you put us together in our state, a certain collective um, enthusiasm will take over us as a group, and that happens. And great. The problem is that if it's not taken to the individual person and the individual doesn't develop that, it's not going to be strong enough to survive threats. And therefore, says Ruf Cook, you need to go out into Galut to, to develop that individual piece, right? And so you, know, you can take this conversation to a lot of different places. But what I will say is the language that Ruf Cook speaks is that language of, of, of a spirituality Again, I'll, I'll, I'll use the word mystical, right? And a mystical spirituality. And Americans, obviously, the word American, I'm, you know, it's all of arts, but I know America, right? You are allowed to say Americans. Americans aren't there yet, but I think that they're seeing it happen in Israel. I think they're watching it. I think they're watching certain cultural phenomenons happening in Israel. And I think that they're fascinated by it. And I think that they're thirsting for it. And I'll give a small example, which is. Um, Connecting, let's say, uh, Rav Dov's new book on tefillah, right? So, Dov Zinger. Dov Zinger. Right. Dov Zinger. Thank you. Rav Dov Zinger's book, Vani yeah, Tefillah. Which, is, which is now available in English, also. Which is exactly, which is now available in English, right? So, Rav Dov Zinger is so, such a natural outgrowth of, of the religious Zionist experience. There's so much mindfulness there, there's so much spirituality, there's so much intuitive plugging in to, to, to larger spiritual experiences. And Americans are like, how do I get some of that? I, I want to learn how to do that. It's very foreign to me, but I want to learn it. And there's, and the fact that it's being translated into English and the fact that, that like Americans are asking, wait, like, like I see all of you Israelis singing all the time and dancing all the time. And like, how do I, how do I bring that into my high schools? How do I bring that into, into, into my religious experience? So the reason it, it, it I, I don't, I think the reason it hasn't, happened is because of the very different natures of the two cultures. But I think that there's an opening now. I think that the American Jewish community is interested in and in that piece that naturally developed in Israel. Um, how, how is it going? How's that going to happen? That's, I think, remains to be seen. And I think it's also a challenge for educators and thinkers as to how to translate it. Fascinating. Thanks. If I, if I could, if I could no, 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 no. This would be Molly. I'm entirely agreement with you. Um, I think also a, a slightly different way of putting the difference in terms of what one sees in Israel. And here I'm indebted to the wonderful sociologist Shlomo Fisher. So it's, it's, it's spiritual, but also it's expressive. And it's, yes. Right? For a cook, like the truth is inside you when you express it out, sort of subjectively. And part of it that comes from Kabbalah, but also comes from being a nationalist. And nationalism is about getting in touch with your whatever, and the individual is part of an organic whole, and in America, it's rather different. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, I, I was planning to take the conversation to another direction, but because of this time, I can't, um, I, I hope it's okay with you, but it, I heard some, someone says that the optimism of Rav Cook, the progressiveness of him, this deep belief 
that the world is becoming, you know, like getting better. It's all because you haven't seen the harvest. It's all because right. he passed away before. Had he been, you know, living through, he wouldn't be a half cook. It's all, you know, that's, and, and in many ways he would become observatic, like, you know, holding the tensions, less harmony, thinking about evil in, in, as something um, with much um, mm -hmm. solid existence. About it. I, I know we were not planning to talk about it, but I feel weird than that. Okay. Makes all the sense in the world. Um, should I say something? Yeah, say something, you know, sure. 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 yes, of course, yes, of course. I mean, it goes, it goes without saying. Um, is a large and capacious thinker who admits of many interpretations, as we know, his son of Suyuda Cook said that he. Knew what his father would say about the Shoah. The Shoah was the Mituach Zari that Ribono Shalom had to do to get Am Yisrael out of the Gavut. Um, I profoundly disagree with that, but I think when Rav Tzviyuda says that, I mean, Rav Tzviyuda, he doesn't hate Eastern European Jewry. He spoke Yiddish much of his life. Um, and this Mituach Zari actually comes from his father's writing. If you take a look in the introduction to Shabbat Haaretz, Rav Kook refers to Korban. As as Nituach Achzari that Rabbi Shalom had to do to like move along the Malkin of history. As you know, I'm a student of Rav Amital, who was no small disciple of Rav Cook, smuggled Rav Cook into a Nazi labor camp. Bright smuggled Booker and and differed profoundly with Rabbi Yudamis. Right, that we can't. Rav Amital said that you know after the Holocaust we can't claim to read God's mind. You know. And, and, though Rav Amital was Kuknik. Like, so he was very Kuknik in very, very ways because she's a low mare. Like, you know, Rav Amital used to say about Bar Kochba, I mean, about Rabbi Akiva. Who's as great as Rabbi Akiva? And he was wrong about Bar Kochba. I don't mind saying that Rabbi Akiva was wrong about Bar Kochba. Um... So I do think that how we interpret the, the teachings of great of our great teachers and sages and chachamim are also moral choices. You know? Personally speaking, is Yudamirsky. I cannot say that I am so confident that I know where history is going. On top of everything, that I'm willing to do things that I think involve you know of violence or cruelty. Et People are free to disagree with me. The question is, is it, do you have to take Rav Kook as Achat or no? If you, if, you, if you read Rav Kook as like the Chumash, where the Chumash isn't allowed to contradict itself, or you read him like the Gemara, where Tosfog makes a point of nailing down every contradiction, say there. And even there, it's, it's, it's you know, because also as Rav Amitai used to point out, the word that Rav Kook uses most in his corpus isn't Eretz Yisrael, it's in Geulah, it's Musar. Ethics, okay. But that's, you know, I, this is just my own attitude to things. Here I am living as a human being in this time and place, in this moment, and I have to make my own moral choices as best I can. And so I have to try and read and learn from these figures as best I can, bearing in mind that, yes, things are, I, you know, Rav Cook didn't see the Shoah. 
And Rabbi didn't live in the actual existing state of Israel. I mean, he lived in America and knew an awful lot about it. He was more involved in Israeli politics here than, than people know. But yeah, but that, 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 both these thinkers had, had, I think, faith in people's abilities to think for themselves. Yeah, I think that's, that's an important point. And, and somebody once said, and I thought this was brilliant, Atila, you had mentioned this in an earlier conversation about why someone so progressive, so progressive and, and creative as Cook's students become, can have the potential, let's say, to become so, so hidebound and frozen. Um, and then there's also the question of Salvation, you're going to see the opposite. But I, I, th I thought this was brilliant. I, I've heard this said that it, it happens to the most creative thinkers, right? What happens is you have a person who thinks so creatively and then his followers are so enamored of him that they freeze his thought in a very, very, um, you know, they, they canonize it in, in a way that, 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 that fossilizes it. And it's a great irony, but I think it's, it's, it's perhaps the destiny of, of, of creatives and revolutionaries. Mm. I think that that did happen to Rav Cook, but I, it, in, for, for many of his students, but I agree that it doesn't have to be, that doesn't, it, it, we don't have to be limited by that way of looking at Rav Cook, right? There's, there's still so much, and I agree, I, you could put question marks, right? I think that's, that's how I view it. Like, I think it's a great blessing that Rav Cook, yeah. I don't think his heart could have tolerated it if, if this is a man who faked when he heard about the Hebron massacre. 1929, right. Yeah, exactly, yeah. 1929. So, but, but do I, am I, so again, I agree 100% with, with, with the, theory that like I, I, I don't believe that it's so obvious that his response would be the response of his son I think it's it's it's, it's just it doesn't fit with my conception of his moral intuition and his complexity I put a question mark would he have completely thrown away his belief in the dialectics of history um, and the fact that you know history moves forward maybe he would have to add an asterisk and try to figure out well, what about this piece and 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 Maybe he would, maybe, I don't know, right? Maybe that's part of the humility is saying, I don't know what he would have done with, with the show. I, I don't know. Would he have gone in a more absolutistic direction and said, we can't ask this question and we can't give, this is not a question and answer type of a thing. But again, do I think that, that, that his vision of what's happening in Israel is a culmination of the historical process? Would he still see that? You know, I, again, I say with, with humility, I think that's extremely right. That's extremely possible. So his whole philosophy is not undermined by this giant question, notwithstanding the tremendous place that this question has. And I think we do have to grapple with it and talk about it seriously. I, mean, I if, if I may just say one thing, I think also just once again, just, just like the way again, I'm, I'm entirely in agreement with you. The way I would phrase it with these great figures, if you think about the great figures of Jewish history, say after Saul, right? Whether it's like. Sajagon, Hanan, you know, you know, the Ramban, the Vilnagon, the Baal Shem Tov, whoever you want, I would say even the Chazonish, they have this combination of being deeply faithful to the tradition and very audacious in how they go about living. There's like deep, deep faithfulness to the tradition and yet great bravery and creativity and how they go about understanding it and living it. And that's kind of not imitatable. It's, it's sort of very unique to, to each one of them. I think that's one of the reasons why they become so, so hard to replicate. One thing about Rav Cook, and one, one way in which I find Rav Salvechik um, a more helpful thinker, frankly, for Israel than Rav Cook. Rav Cook was a great idealist. 
And as an idealist, he had a lot, and he wasn't alone among early Zionists, but in his case, it's very dramatic. He really had trouble imagining Jews behaving badly. Yeah. He really didn't understand the will to power. He didn't understand that there's some people who are violent. There are these stories that when he used to, like when he was in a baking for Din Torah, he used to go and meditate. He would go and meditate for a few minutes and they would ask him why. He said, because I can't, understand people actually arguing about money right and you know how about how he lived his life it was quite true and he couldn't envision jews really being violent he couldn't really envision jews having power and abusing power and the rub was a litvak i mean Rav Kook was a litvak too but he was a chabad i mean he was half, half misnag and half chabad the rub was more of a litvak that way and i mean that as a compliment i mean he was had no illusions about Jews being able to do terrible things and that they need Torah. I mean, Rav Kook, especially in the early years, especially before he came in on the app, Rav Kook is also very aware of the moral perils of nationalism. Like Rav Kook even says, is not nationalismus. Leumiot is not nationalism. And I think the Rav is much more helpful at setting limits and having a healthy suspicion. Yes, I, that's a good way of saying it, right? The rough says the Bible is very um, optimistic of man and is, is yet eternally suspicious of man. And that, and I would say even to bring this back to the conversation about Zionism, in almost every single time Rav Soloveitchik talks about Zionism, he talks about um, um, self, hanefesh, self-searching, making sure that, you know, what are we doing right and being proud of what we're doing right, but also the ability, and it's, it's interesting because he says it for our own community, right? What did we do wrong? It's always possible that we make mistakes. Can we do better? Um, and he also turns it to the larger society, and he says we have to have the ability to um, be creative, as I said in, in, in the beginning, but we also have to have the ability to be influenced and to realize where we make mistakes. And that's such a such a, such a focal theme, I'd say, in Rav Soloveitchik's thought. Um, and, and I think that that's very true, right? It, it, it's a good point that, that that's, that's very necessary in our time, right? That, that, that ability to, 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 you know, I always think about sacrifice in Rav Soloveitchik, right? The, 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 that, 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 that again, like, pride in man and pride in man's achievements, but never never glorifying man to the place where you worship man and man becomes the, the idol. And that's important in terms of individual um, religious experience, but it's also true in terms of the state. Uh, and I think, I think it's correct that, that that can save us from, from, from paths that, that we don't want to go down in, 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 in modern society. Let's put it that way, yeah. Okay, we have 10 more minutes and I want to respect our uh, promise to answer questions from the audience. So if you can take a look in, in Q&A, Badem, can you both? Um, because I have two questions and you can each pick one. <laughs> um, mm. And decide, you know, where I am. I'll try, I'll try. Um... I'll try mysticism, okay? And Molly can have the easy one. What a surprise. Say, no, like, you just read a book with the word mystic in its title. So. Yeah, I know, but that, but that doesn't mean I actually know anything about it. Um, and of course, you know the famous line, those who can do and those who can't teach. Um, you know, mysticism comes from like the word mystery, right? Um, now, 
Kabbalah is mysterious in two ways, right? It's esoteric, and I'm, I'm making a point about Kabbalah, but I will be cycling back here for a moment. Um, it's esoteric in sort of a political sense. There's certain kinds of knowledge that some people should have and other people don't, right? Like sort of like, you know, what exactly Israel does in Dimona, right? I don't, you know, the government has decided reasonably that I, I don't need to know that, right? Because I would not be, make good use of that knowledge. But there's other kinds of mystery because if the truth itself is mysterious. That's what the Kabbalah tries to understand. How can an infinite God coexist with a finite world? How can a human being at the same time feel, know that he's human and finite and yet feel a longing for the infinite? They're both true, even though, right? So, those are the, so that's why the Kabbalah is always trying to understand things that can't be understood. It's trying to answer questions you can't answer, but you can't be human if you're asking it. Um, and, and then it, you know, it takes the form, but also the word Kabbalah literally means tradition. It's a tradition of texts and ideas and certain concepts and structures and ways of thinking about this. So I think the mysticism is, A, he's part of this tradition, right? So thinkers like a book like the Zohar and thinkers like Rabbi Moshe Cordover on the one hand or the Ramchal and his Kabbalistic works on the other are like very much part of his equipment in terms of how he looks at the world, and so too for the Rambam, by the way. Um, but also, yes, this great sense of the mystery of things, the ultimate unknowability of things, but a key feature of Kabbalah is that there's lots of unknowability. Like, Rav Cook has this wonderful phrase, wonderful comment where he says, you know, we talk about Hamavdil being Kodesh Lechol, but we just did in the last Yontif, right? We talk about Hamavdil being Kodesh Lechodesh. Kodesh Lechol, well, I kind of know what that is. I know what things are like on Shabbat and I think, but I know what, what, and I know what Sunday looks like. Amadil bin Kodesh Lechodesh, he says, that summons us to a different kind of thinking. That within the Kodesh, there are gradations. Differences can take many forms. That's also where the mysticism comes in. That, that sort of seeing truth as multifaceted. And part of that truth is experiential, and part of it is a way of looking at at um, the divinity that permeates the world and sort of brings it all into unity, even as it goes into multiplicity. And yeah, that's kind of mysterious, but that's the truth of things. Again, just something Europe also takes that meaningfully is, is when he says, in, in looking at social, my social and political opponents, I need to realize that there's things that I don't understand. That they, Right, where is that famous passage where he talks about the three groups in the Jewish people, the liberals, the nationalists, and the religious people. Kodesh is the synthesis of all three, knowing that all of them are different features of human existence. So I think that's where that's where that's what mysticism sort of means, um, at least to some extent in this context. Molly, now it's your turn to Okay, let me get some um, I, know, I, know, but I just want to say we yeah. have to get religion. I just want to say that one someone wrote here that we are making from Rav Kook that he was more down to earth than we are describing yeah. him. And I think it's in, in, in a way referring to what you said because oh. there was a, a you know, yeah. he was yeah. also chief. 100%. There, there's a political system. Years ago, a, few, a number of years ago when I was sitting in the Rav Kook archives for a while, the sheer number of letters that he was writing, not just answering halakha right. questions, but 
um, organizing money for tzedakah, organizing kashrut someplace, arranging immigration certificates for people. It's, it's a stunning amount of Correct. Even his language, the fact that he could write, that, you know, his his writings are so obscure, but that when he wanted to write clearly, even though he claimed that he couldn't, yeah, exactly. his are actually readable, you know, wrote, is it, he, it's, it's, it's a very good point. It's a fair point. Yes, 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 well said. Um, how do you, would you define religious? In specific, how one looks, how one behaves, how one ex accepts the other. Okay, I'm just going to answer from Rosh Levitchik's perspective, just to save us time. Maybe I'll say one word about Rav Cook in the end. How one looks, no. Um, behaves and how one accepts the other, perhaps. And what do I mean by that? How one behaves, again, this is Rav Soloveitchik. You cannot get away from his, um, the centrality of halacha to his worldview. Um, and, you know, it's, it's fast, you mentioned lonely men of faith, and I think it's quite a fascinating thing to think about the covenantal community where he's speaking in language, it's, he means it to be accessible to all religions, actually. Um, but, you know, he talks about, so, so if you, if you're, but, 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 but let's not run away from the centrality of halacha in, in Soloveitchik, right? So, for all that there may even be space for, for you know, a, a religious experience, halakha is at the heart for Rav Soloveitchik. So how one behaves, I would say halakha is a big piece. At the same time, right, there's this piece there where it says how one accepts the other. Again, for Rav Soloveitchik, that would also be, you don't, halakha, again, the definition for Rav Soloveitchik of halakha is the ethical moral norm. Halakha is a means of creating, of, of being an ethical person and interacting with others in an ethical way. That's, for, for Soloveitchik, I believe, how he defines halakha. It's the system in which, through which we um, learn how to interact ethically with the world and set up, I believe, it's also the way we set up an ethical society in theory. Obviously, that needs a lot more explication, but I think that's how he would view it. Um, so, so that's, you know, that's what religion is. It's about create, creating an ethical reality. But again, the means for, you know, I'm not going to dance around, the means for Soloveitchik is definitely the halachic system. Um, I, I will also say, though, I, what, what I find quite interesting, you would have mentioned the, in the beginning, you know, of Cook's kind of intuition that, like, I, you alluded to, I don't know if you said this explicitly, that everybody who's searching for God and spirituality is religious. They just don't call themselves that. Um, and that's that's a very, I, I would say that, like, screams from of Cook's writings. Right. Fascinatingly, it's, it's peeping out of Rav Soloveitchik's writings as well. Um, I, again, when I went over which is translated into English as the Rav speaks, more than once Rav Soloveitchik says the same thing. You know, every Jew is searching for God. He just doesn't realize that that's what he's doing. Repentance is a guaranteed um, experience for man. Um, all of our souls are, are, are ultimately looking for that. He has this shocking and fascinating piece about Alicia Benabuya Acher, who the Talmud says this is the person who everybody can repent except for him. And Rosalovitchik says even he could have repented. That when he heard everybody can repent except for Acher, it's because he misunderstood it. He what, what, what was what God was saying was the Acher part of you is not really you, right? So that Acher part can't repent, but the Alusha Benahuya can. So like there, there, you even even the the, the, the one who can't really can, there's can, there always can be a built-in return to God, which is can be can be disputed, but I just there's another kind of parallel place to Rav Cook that's unexpected and, and interesting. So that that would be my question. Right. Okay. I, I would just 
want first to... I want to say no. I'm not letting you no, say anything because we're running out of time. I want to thank you for um, you know, thank you. freaked about time, Mali. It was uh, amazing. Um, I want to conclude by saying you, you said that for Rav Salvechik, Adacha is, is a moral norms. And it reminds me uh, the way Rav Mital used to say that uh, Shoah, talk about the Shoah as Chilul Hashem, the greatest Chilul Hashem, because that's, you know, that's the opposite of, of moral norms. That's the opposite of God in the world. And, and that's the greatest Chilul Hashem ever. And um, it's, not, it's, it's not a conclusion of our discussion, but I, I thought that's... Well, I, I that's yeah. I mean, it's a longer story, but I often think like when we think like we play, we pray for Malchut Shemayim. What is Malchut Shemayim? Malchut Shemayim is a world in which Auschwitz is inconceivable. It's a world in which Auschwitz cannot happen. That's Malchut Shemayim. So without, with that notion, I want first thank both of you. It was a pleasure. We, I could go on like that for two more hours. Um, and then... Um, and to apologize for people who had questions that we didn't touch, and, and to wish us, you know, maybe Yom HaShoah also matchil begnut umisayim b'shvach. You know, we're starting by Yom HaShoah in 10 days, we will be in Yom HaTzmut. Um, and then, and so today we are in Avadim Ainu, but there will be, um, there will be Yom HaTzmut next week. Um, and, and I feel that this discussion, uh, touching both Yom HaShoah and Yom HaTzmaut, and those 10 days of Aseret Yemet Tkuma between them, uh, um, couldn't be more you know, accurate for the time. So thank you both, um, and wish us all uh, that we will be Ruim. Um, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you.